0: again, Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal. Coming to you today from uh, warming Vancouver as we you know, slowly start heading out of winter. But once again, we'll be reaching across the globe to a, a very different climate as a colleague from Western Australia will, will be joining me momentarily. Her name is Denise Playford. She's Associate Professor at the University of Western Australia, specifically in the Rural Clinical School of Western Australia. And I'm very much looking forward to the opportunity to speak about a paper that Denise and her co-authors have coming out in the April 2021 issue of Medical Education entitled Intention Mutability and Translation of Rural Intention into Actual Rural Medical Practice. Denise, thank you for joining me. And I feel like I need to start by just asking you to explain what the Rural Clinical School of Western Australia is, given that that's not an organization that I suspect most of our listeners would be familiar with.
1: Karen, yeah, thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to a bit of dialogue with people, not only including you, but listeners to the podcast, who probably ha- actually have quite similar programs by very different names. So the Rural Clinical School is a Commonwealth federally funded project across Australia to take medical students out of their urban context for a year to live in a rural spot which may be quite remote. So in the north, the tropical north of Western Australia, they're around 2,500 kilometres north of the capital city and it sweeps all the way down to the southern coast, Esperance, which is 2,000 kilometres south and inland to the desert regions of Kalgoorlie and the inland of Western Australia. The thing I think that's probably really interesting about this, and I'm sure it's the same in North America, is that these students are not being taught by consultants and specialists. It's very different from the city where they do internal medicine with a physician, surgery with a surgeon. These students are being exposed to these disciplines, but from generalists and GPs, so... It's an interesting context that I'm sure many of your readership shares.
0: Yeah, that is very familiar. Certainly we would use a different name, but what is highly variable I suspect across very many places is just how people get into a program like this. Is it competitive? Are people assigned? How does the process work in your context?
1: It's developed over time, so we've existed now for 20 years When we started, it was the adventurers who chose us and there were only very few, it was only six. We're now up to 110 per annum, some of them continuing into a second year. It's varied, but for our school, because we really enjoy teaching and the clinical academics love having students, it's actually a competitive process. So we have double the number of applicants apply compared to the places we can offer them, which means that we're interviewing half the medical school not just for one medical school, but for three medical schools. So it's a lovely positive rural tint to training in medicine these days.
0: Yeah. And that speaks directly to the contents of this paper as you're clearly focusing on how do we build a system that encourages people towards education and practice more long-term in rural areas. I want to go back to the title just for a moment because the first two words are a mouthful. Intention mutability. What is that? And why were you concerned about how that impacts upon that effort to get people into rural practice
1: areas? (laughs) Sorry, I love words. So forgive me. It's a
0: beautiful word. That's why or phrase. That's why I came
1: back to it. Yeah, well I mean intention in terms of rural practice or any practice has been in the literature for decades and decades because we know that intention precedes action. And there's a lot of studies in every areas of decision-making which use that word. But I guess the word mutability doesn't come up so often. And by mutability, we mean changeable or potential to be changeable. And that's particularly, I think, what our paper offers. It is actually important to think that not everybody will start off with a given intention that we hope for, but that the intention they express can be changed. Well,
0: it has very clear implications in terms of how one thinks about either selection into the medical training program in the first instance, or selection into this rural clinical school that you're working within, in that lots of people would be focused on, let's identify the ones who want to go rural and get them in. And others are focused on how do we convince those who are in that rural is an enjoyable career. Did you come in with any particular perspective on where the balance lies?
1: Yes, I think I had joined with the rest of the world in saying that rural are going to go rural, because that has been quite clearly demonstrated. I mean, there's early work by Rabinovich decades ago that showed that if you come from a rural background, you have rural intention, then you'll go into rural practice. But I guess, and also in Australia, again, I'm grateful to the Commonwealth for some fantastic funding initiatives. And these have included ones that basically bond students, particularly rural students, to rural practice. So I guess I have quite an equity focus in my work. And I thought at the beginning it's unjust to expect rural people to always redress the rural shortfalls mm-hmm. because. Everybody should be free at the end of their training to go where they most pleased to go. So we equitably included all people in this study, all graduates, because I wanted to see really, is our future tied to rural students? And
0: let's talk a bit more specifically then about this particular study, you clearly had a large database available to you that you were able to draw upon. But as you just alluded to, ideas and research as to how to attract people to rural careers has been published for a decade and a half or even more now. What was the gap that you thought you were uniquely positioned to fill by the opportunity that you had available here?
1: Well, I guess that in Australia, we have some remarkable data. It's probably a little bit like the States, I guess, with some of the national databases and Canada, I guess, as well in terms of matching. But what I had in my hands, and I acknowledge then Dean of Medicine, Ian Putty, who had a particular equity interest as well. I started off with a beautiful database that he was curating, looking at all medical graduates from the University of Western Australia. He had all sorts of data from them, including their socioeconomic background, their rural background and so on and so forth. It was complete. We could choose any control group that we wished because that data was all sitting there under ethics. The next database then was one that Australia put in place and at that period, which we quote in the paper, an outcomes database. So the medical deans across Australia approved an entry and exit survey to all medical students and one of the questions was do you intend to work rural with rural being stratified by distance so we have a very good outcomes rurality index in Australia so mm-hmm. we could see whether they wanted to work really remote inner metropolitan and so on so I have two databases and then the last database is the one on medical practitioners so every year in Australia medical practitioners have to license themselves with the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Authority. And part of that registration includes their current primary practice location. So I had three data points, which I feel is exquisitely unusual.
0: I would certainly agree. And I'm sure that those listening are eager to know what you pulled out of that. And specifically, I wonder if you could share some of your thoughts as to which of the controls that you just alluded to was most valuable to you in terms of being able to tease apart the different influences on the rate at which people went into rural care.
1: So I guess we were able to stratify, for example, by having an entry and exit intention measure from medical school we were able to look at the point, you know, the timeline that changes occurred. And that was particularly, I'm sure all of you who have expensive rural programs would have to agree that it builds up your credibility if you can say definitively and conclusively that your program was the intervening step that made rural practice a reality. And that's exactly what our data set was able to say because we had the medical student's original intention on entry And we had their intention on exit. And in between those, right just before they exit, we had the rural clinical school. So we were able to answer, you know, which point in medical training and is intention responsive to medical school interventions in terms of actual rural workforce. So not just intending to work rural, but actual rural. So that was a delicious question to be able to answer.
0: Yeah. And what would you flag up for those listening as to the results that most surprised you or that you think are most important having gone through quite an extensive analysis?
1: Well, I guess in terms of the discussion, it was very clear. Some of the things that we demonstrated statistically was that people have said that the intention just before you make your career decision is really important but they haven't been able to actually summon evidence. So we've been Mm -hmm. able to show that it's not the entry intention that matters, it's the exit intention. And we can clearly show that because for people who start out with an entry intention to work rural, but who do not participate in the rural clinical school, they have significantly lower odds of actually going on to rural work. So there are some papers that have taken intention at entry, Rabinowitz included, and said that's what you need. But we showed, in fact, the opposite, that if you start with entry intention and you don't do an intervention, you have much lower odds, significantly lower odds of actually going into rural work. So it's the medical school environment that is actually really powerful So the next incredible thing, the thing that I find really exciting is my equity (laughs) demonstration, that we know that those who start with rural intention, who have a rural background, are seven times more likely, through doing rural clinical school, to go on into rural work. But people have said when I published previously that, well, you're picking the ones who are already interested in rural work and you put them in a very expensive program and you pop them out as rural practitioners. Well, what's the big deal? I guess the exciting thing about the nuances of all these databases is that we have shown in this paper that you take somebody who is not interested on entry, you put them in the rural clinical school, whether they come from an urban background or a rural background, and they are ranks higher, more likely to go into rural work than somebody who didn't experience the rural clinical school and also had no original intention So that's what I mean about the mutability. So Mm -hmm. you can see people who start in one way, they go through the school, and they change in a very patterned way. So even rural background students who haven't experienced the rural clinical school, you know, they do not express the same intention. And it's clearly linked to the rural clinical school intervention. And I can refer you to another paper which allows me to say that, but I won't for this <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, so maybe, maybe, maybe the answer to my next question is in that other paper, because what you were just saying about how powerful the environment is begs a question that might require a bit of speculation. But what is it about the rural clinical school that you think was so impactful in terms of changing the intentions of a good portion of the people who experienced it?
1: <laughs> well, I'm afraid I have no data for this. Well, I have no published data. But I've talked with a lot of my students because I'm the unit coordinator for the whole program. And I must say, it's really interesting when I've interviewed students middle of the year. And I've referred in the paper to work done by Mesereau on transformative perspectives. His work is actually quite weak, I must say, you know, in terms of strength of evidence. He makes a lot of bold statements, but they are actually, in our case, quite true. So Meseras talks about how if you destabilise somebody's perspective and then provide them with a very viable alternative perspective, they are much more likely to then resolve with a different perspective from the one they started with. And that's entirely so with the Rural Clinical School. So we've never selected people based on the fact that they are from a rural background. We pick students who express genuine interest in exploring different options. And the big destabilising thing that happens for our students is that in the city where all of them have been based, all of their lecturers are consultants in particular subspecialty disciplines. They come into the rural clinical school, like I was alluding at the very beginning when we were talking, they come into the rural clinical school. And for the most part, their entire teaching cohort is coming from GPs, so family medicine doctors. And so family medicine doctors have taught everything in our program subspecialty areas like oncology and palliative care subspecialty areas like ophthalmology and details of surgery you know and so on and so forth. And we know in Australia is also a unique context in that regard, because we have a particular postgraduate degree that a lot of these doctors have, which is specifically what we call a rural generalist training. So it enables doctors who are in remote areas to practice full scope of practice as doctors, because there are no specialists when they need them, they can fly people to Perth but at the point of care these students are being exposed to GPs caring for fairly critically ill patients and because most of them have been thinking about their careers they're in the second to last year of training before they exit and choose their colleges this is a really I mean for us a fantastic destabilizing influence and they are moving so The beautiful thing is that, you know, in the rest of the country, probably like North America, only something like 15% of graduates in general go into general practice, but our graduates, something closer to 40% are going into primary care. So that destabilising effect is not only changing their perspective about the validity and the status and the capacity of family medicine doctors, but it's also directing them into making that choice for themselves and doing it so for rural workforce.
0: Well, and that makes me want to end on the question of how did you get there? I'm thinking back to what you said about it's been a 20-year process where you started with a handful of students and are now seeing these outcomes. For those who are inspired by this work and want to think about moving towards something like this in their own contexts, what are the early steps that you think are most influential?
1: I think for me it was an intention to expose students to rural stuff, and here it's a two-pronged answer because on the one hand, we are very handsomely funded by the Commonwealth Government. I mean, incredibly so. And it has been some visionary bureaucrats, particularly one whose name alludes me at the moment, but went to America and saw the AHEC arrangement. I don't know if that's still in place now, but he saw it and could see the benefit of this streamed idea of education so he argued for dedicated funding rurally which is clearly having effect so we're showing the impact of that specific stream of funding but other research that i've done for less or unfunded work i originally started off just giving students rural experiences directed by the amazing the first dean ian putty to just give students rural experiences at points through their entire degree. And it's fairly clear for that work that if you give students a positive and very affirmative rural experience and show them that rural practice can be excellent and is excellent, they also will move towards rural practice. So. I think education is powerful. I guess I started off with a belief that education is really powerful. And to nourish students in having transformative experiences really does have effect. So people who are in very resource-poor countries can still have that same impact.
0: It is a perfect note to end on the notion that we... Sometimes lose track of that education is incredibly powerful. And of course, that's why we're all here. So let me just wrap up by congratulating you and your co-authors, not only on this paper, but on the tremendous impact that you're making to healthcare within Western Australia and the rural regions specifically. For anybody who wants the details of the work that we've just been discussing, as I said at the beginning, you'll find them in a paper entitled Intention Mutability and Translation of Rural Intention into Actual Rural Medical Practice in the April 2021 issue of Medical Education. Thank you very much, Denise, again, for taking the time to talk with me and good luck with the continuation of this work.
1: Thank you, Kevin, and I look forward to your readers emailing me because I'd love to talk further. Thank you.